This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. The Problematic Crown Jewels and Other Coronation Controversies The coronation of King Charles III and Queen Camilla on the 6th of May is a once-in-a-generation event which will go down in history. But will it go down for all the wrong reasons? The coronation has been surrounded by a number of controversies, from what the royals will wear to what Charles will sit on, from which foreign countries might be offended to who will and will not be attending and how much it's all going to cost. All these quarrels really come down to a thousand-year-old institution, marred in outdated dogma and dripping in stolen jewels, clashing with a modern world in which people no longer revere royalty and many are struggling to live. Add in the fact that the stars of the show are not especially popular, and we have a hotbed of coronation controversy. Let's examine the many centuries-old disputes and modern contentious issues which have so far marred the coronation, including a few which the media haven't been picking over, but maybe they should. Plus, I'll reveal what role and title Princess Diana would have if she were alive today. The Crown Jewels First, let's talk about the giant, sparkly elephant in the room, the Koh-i-Noor diamond. A great deal of media attention was given to whether or not Camilla would wear this stone in her coronation crown. Camilla was expected to select from the antique crowns created for her predecessors. The problem is that the three most recent diadems were designed to hold the Koh-i-Noor diamond. The 105-carat stone, called the Mountain of Light, was mined in India, where rulers fought and killed over it for centuries. Shah Jahan, builder of the Taj Mahal, placed it in his peacock throne. He was imprisoned and killed by his son. The stone was next stolen by Persian ruler Nadir Shah, who was assassinated, plunging his empire into civil war. The Sikh emperor obtained the stone and brought it back to India, but he died shortly after, leaving it to his five-year-old son, Dulip Singh. In 1849, the British East India Company imprisoned the boy king's mother and forced him to sign a treaty handing over the kingdom and the Koh-i-Noor. The diamond was thus presented to Queen Victoria. 
Prince Albert had it recut to adhere to European style, but it was badly done and nearly half the gym was destroyed. Because of the many disasters which have befallen its male owners, the diamond is believed to be cursed and is therefore only worn by women. The governments of India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan have all asked for the Koh-i-Noor to be returned to them, and warned that the royal family's continued use of the stone is a painful reminder of the colonial past. On Valentine's Day, Buckingham Palace announced that Camilla had decided to wear Queen Mary's 1911 Art Deco-style crown. The statement carefully avoided mention of the Koh-i-Noor, but did detail other gems which would be mounted in the crown. The omission has generally been assumed to mean that the controversial diamond will not appear on the big day, but the royals don't seem eager to relinquish it either. Camilla's choice of Queen Mary's crown surprised some. It was widely speculated that she would choose the newer, solid platinum crown of Queen Elizabeth from 1937. But as Queen Mary's crown is taller and better fits Camilla's style, the choice does make sense. Additionally, Elizabeth Bowes Lyon, the Queen Mom, knew Camilla personally and was not a fan. She may have played a role in breaking Charles and Camilla up back in 1972 and pushing the prince towards Diana Spencer, the granddaughter of her lady-in-waiting. After Charles and Diana divorced and Diana was killed, Charles and Camilla began campaigning for the royal family and the public to accept their relationship. But they waited until after their biggest attractor, the Queen Mum, died in 2002 before they tied the knot in 2005. It's little wonder Camilla wouldn't want to wear the crown of a woman with whom she had such a complicated past. So which stones will fill the Koh-i-Noor-sized gap? The palace stated that three other giant gems, Cullinan's three, four, and five, will be fit into the consort crown. While the Koh-i-Noor has grabbed more headlines, the Cullinan diamond was also stolen from a British colony and should be just as widely controversial. Called the Great Star of Africa, the 3,106 carat or 1.36 pound diamond was the largest ever mined. Diamonds and gold were discovered in South Africa in the late 1800s, sparking increased British colonization. This led to the Anglo-Zulu and then the Boer Wars, in which thousands of Africans died in battle and in British concentration camps. In 1902, the British military established the Transvaal Colony to control the area. Three years later, the Great Star of Africa was discovered in a mine owned by Thomas Cullinan. The Transvaal Colony presented the stone to King Edward VII for his birthday in 1907. He had it cut into nine dazzling diamonds. Cullinan I, the largest and most valuable stone in the British crown jewels, is set into the sovereign's scepter. Cullinan II is in the imperial state crown. The seven smaller gems are personally owned by the royal family. Following Queen Elizabeth's death, there was renewed public dialogue in South Africa about demanding the return of the Cullinan stones, which have been dubbed blood diamonds. But the South African government has yet to officially make a request, and the story has not been as widely covered as the Koh-i-Noor, so the royals feel more comfortable displaying these stolen gems instead. 
There are a few other important stones in the Crown Jewel collection with somewhat dubious histories. The Queen Consort's Rod with Dove was made in 1685 for Mary of Modena. It is constructed primarily of ivory, for which elephants and other mammals have been hunted for centuries, some to the brink of extinction. Many thought this piece of regalia would be shelved, as both King Charles and Prince William have spoken out against the now illegal trade, and called for ivory pieces in the royal collection to be destroyed. But in a recent palace press release, the ivory rod was listed among the crown jewels which will be used. The imperial state crown is worn by the monarch each year at the opening of parliament. Charles will wear it while leaving the abbey and waving to the crowds on coronation day. This crown, made in 1937 for George VI, contains a treasure trove of important gems. In the center of the cross is St. Edward's Sapphire, the oldest gemstone in the crown jewels, dating to 1042. The stone was probably mined in Sri Lanka, though there is no record of if it came to England through legitimate trade or underhanded dealings. What we do know is that it was originally placed on the finger of St. Edward's corpse, and buried with him. In 1216, King John was crossing an estuary when the tide came in and all of his crown jewels were washed away. His son, Henry III, stole a crown, ring, and other regalia from St. Edward's grave. Below the mound hang four oriental drop pearls, which belonged to Mary, Queen of Scots. In 1587, her cousin, Queen Elizabeth I of England, had her beheaded and took her pearls. Just above the Cullinan II is the 170-carat Black Prince Ruby, which is actually a spaniel. These stones are mined primarily in the Middle East and East Africa. The uncut crimson gem was first recorded in the 1300s, being worn in the turban of Abu Said, the Prince of Granada. He was at war with Don Pedro of Castile. Pedro lured Abdul with a peace treaty then stabbed him to death and stole the gem. In 1367, Pedro made an alliance with English warrior Edward, Prince of Wales. After helping Pedro defeat another Moorish enemy, Edward demanded the spaniel as payment. These older gems have been part of British history for long enough that no one is demanding their return. But the crown jewels consist of over 100 objects made of 23,000 gemstones and many pounds of platinum, gold, and silver. The collection is estimated to be worth two to six billion dollars. Many of the individual gems and the wealth to buy them were obtained through colonization and exploitation. But as the crown is the very symbol of the monarchy, it's little wonder the palace would rather not talk about it. Thank you very much. The Stone of Schoon Diamonds are not the only stones causing controversy. The mystical Stone of Schoon, or Stone of Destiny, was said to have served as Jacob's pillow whilst he dreamt of angels in the book of Genesis. It was then hauled to Ireland by the prophet Jeremiah and finally to Scotland, where it was used as a throne for Scottish kings since ancient times. In reality, geological testing has proven that the stone was quarried in Scotland, but it has been an important part of Scottish history for nearly a thousand years. 
In 1296, King Edward I of England invaded Scotland and stole the Stone of Scone. He ordered a throne called St. Edward's Chair in which to place it, and it has been used in every English and British coronation since. In 1603, King James VI of Scotland inherited the throne of England, and the two nations were joined in a personal union. After the Scottish Stuart dynasty was overthrown, many Scots rose up in the Jacobite Rebellion, but they were massacred at the Battle of Culloden. The stone's possession has long been viewed in Scotland as a symbol of English oppression. On Christmas Day, 1950, a group of Scottish students planned a heist and removed the giant stone from Westminster Abbey. They hid it for four months, but the government tracked them down and returned the stone to Westminster Abbey in time for Elizabeth's coronation. In 1996, the government finally allowed the stone to return to Scotland. Shortly after the Queen's death, it was announced that the stone would temporarily return to Westminster Abbey for Charles to sit on at his coronation. This has been greeted with petitions and politicians demanding the artifact remain in Scotland. Meanwhile, Scotland is poised to hold a referendum in which a majority of Scots are expected to vote to leave the United Kingdom, but the British government has thus far prevented the vote from happening. Seeing Charles sit upon the Stone of Schoon will be symbolic of the bloody past and tense current relationship between England and Scotland, and will likely cause fury in the Highlands. Fur An important ceremonial part of the coronation are the royal robes. The queen consort traditionally wears a purple velvet robe, and the monarch wears two, a crimson robe to enter the abbey and a purple robe to leave. And all three robes are traditionally lined with ermine fur. Additionally, the monarch wears a stole made entirely of fur. All the crowns are lined with fur, as are the coronets and shorter robes worn by members of the royal family and nobility. That is a lot of dead ermine. Ermen, called a stout while they're alive, are intelligent, inquisitive, and gregarious animals. In 1937, 50,000 ermine skins were sent from Canada to make robes for the coronation of George VI. Since then, fur has become highly contentious and unpopular for its cruelty and environmental impact. Fashion houses, including Gucci and Chanel, have stopped using real fur, and in 2018, London Fashion Week banned it. As Charles himself is a keen environmentalist, there have been reports that he may use faux fur instead. He has decided to use a plant-based sacred oil for his anointment. In the past, the holy oil, or chrism, has contained ambergris, a waxy substance vomited up by sperm whales, and musk extracted from the glands of civets and other small mammals. Both animal products were highly prized for their aromas and are still used in some perfumes. But Charles's chrism, which was consecrated in Jerusalem, has been made from olive oil and scented with sesame, rose, jasmine, cinnamon, amber, and orange blossom. The vegan holy oil is a good sign for the stouts of the world, but the palace has yet to make an official announcement on that furry situation. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. 
At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The Invitation. On April 5th, the official invites went public. Central to the motif is a green man. According to the palace, it is an ancient figure from British folklore, symbolic of spring and rebirth, to celebrate the new reign. It seems perfect for Charles, the consummate nature lover. But the controversy surrounding this choice has been twofold. First, folklorist Francis Young argues that the green man is in fact not an ancient symbol, but was coined by Lady Raglan in 1939. Though similar figures have appeared in architecture in many nations for thousands of years, the green man doesn't have British folklore backstory. However, he has been adopted as a symbol of spring in modern paganism, which leads to the second point of controversy. Some are affronted that Charles is using a symbol of paganism on his invitation to a Christian service. The king has reportedly faced conflict with the Church of England over his desire to include other religions in his coronation. Another aspect which lit up internet arguments was Camilla being titled queen rather than queen consort. Queens in their own right, like Elizabeth II, are technically queens regnant, while the wives of kings are technically queens consort. But both are commonly referred to simply as queen, a la Queen Alexandra and Queen Mary. On one hand, there is resentment that the palace keeps trying to subtly bump up Camilla's title. When the couple were wed in 2005, it was announced that she would never be queen but princess consort. But by the jubilee in 2022, Queen Elizabeth endorsed her receiving the title queen consort. There is some precedence that consort is only properly dropped after the coronation. Calling Camilla queen beforehand is perceived as another attempt by Charles to elevate his unpopular wife. On the other hand, it does seem like splitting hairs to insist that Camilla be referred to only as queen consort and not just the queen, which really comes down to people not really liking her. Now, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. The cost. The queen's death could not have come at a worse time for the British economy. In 2021 and 22, the rate of inflation increased sharply across the UK. It hit a 41-year high of 11.1% in October 2022. The resulting cost of living crisis has meant many have had to choose between heat in winter and food. Like basic goods and services, the cost of lavish coronations has also inflated. Queen Elizabeth's 1953 celebration cost 1.5 million pounds, about 50 million pounds in today's money. 
Even though Charles will have a slimmed down event, it is estimated to cost double what his mother's did, mostly down to the increased need for security. And unlike royal weddings, which the family pays for, the British government foots the bill for coronations. Many are unhappy about paying 100 million pounds of taxpayer funds for the spectacle. The palace has tried to broker goodwill in a number of ways. In addition to public parades, the coronation weekend will include a concert broadcast on the BBC with tickets going by lottery to members of the public. More on that later. The big lunch, street parties held across the country, and the Monday after the coronation will be a bank holiday, during which Britons are encouraged to participate in a volunteer drive called the Big Helpout. These events follow tradition going back to the Middle Ages, when monarchs rode in parades and through lavish public festivals to endear themselves to their people. Medieval kings gave away food and filled public fountains with wine. Instead, Charles is asking local communities to organize and fund their own festivities in his honor. The Concert Less than a year ago, superstars lined up to play for the Queen at her Platinum Jubilee. But now, performers are turning down the chance to entertain Charles. Adele, Ed Sheeran, Elton John, The Spice Girls, Harry Styles, Kylie Minogue, and Robbie Williams have all declined. Many cite conflicting tour dates, but more likely they want to avoid the bad publicity of being associated with the unpopular king. For some, like Elton John, who was friends with Princess Diana, and Adele, who is friends with Duchess Meghan, the rejection was likely more personal. The biggest stars who have confirmed, Lionel Richie and Katy Perry, are both American. But lesser-known and rising British stars like Take That, Brian Terfel, Freya Riding, and Alexis French will also be performing. And there are rumors that Paul McCartney and Bette Midler may appear. Royal Family Controversies Prince Harry and Meghan the fracture between the royal family and the Sussexes has been pretty thoroughly covered by the media, so I won't go into it in great detail. Since the prince published his autobiography, Spare, in which he disclosed private details of disagreements with Charles, Camilla, Will, and Kate, whether or not he and his wife would attend his father's coronation has been the most speculated aspect of the event. It has been confirmed that Prince Harry will attend, but Meghan, Archie, and Lilibet will remain home in California. Prince Andrew The king's younger brother is easily the least popular member of the royal family. Friendship with a notorious sex trafficker and dodging a sexual assault conviction will have that effect. In the Queen's final years, she reluctantly demoted her favorite child, but he was financially supported and kept in the royal loop. Now that Charles is in charge, Andrew is on the outs. The brothers have never gotten along, and Andrew's disgrace has given reason and excuse for the king to push the duke out of the family fold and out of his home at Royal Lodge Windsor. But will Andrew show his face at the coronation? Many believe the sex offender prince should not be invited. However, it has been reported that he will be in attendance, but kept in the background. His ex-wife, Sarah Ferguson, has not received an invitation. 
in an effort to keep the three most controversial royals out of the way. The palace has been more rigid about the line between working and non-working royals. Working royals receive funds from the government through the sovereign grant to go on state visits, sponsor charities, and perform myriad other royal duties full-time. The current working royals are the king, the queen, the prince and princess of Wales, Charles's sister and princess royal, youngest brother Edward, Duke of Edinburgh, and his wife Sophie. There is a second tier of lower-profile working royals, grandchildren of King George V, who were grandfathered in to the system, but don't perform as many royal duties. They are Prince Richard, Duke of Gloucester, and his wife Bridget. Prince Edward, Duke of Kent, and Princess Alexandra, Lady Ogilvy. In an effort to slim down the monarchy, extended family members of subsequent generations have not been included in the ranks of working royals and are expected to find other ways to work for a living. All royals will be expected to attend the coronation, but only working royals will be in the procession and on the balcony, with the exception of William's children, George, Charlotte, and Louis. They will be working royals someday and have been confirmed to be part of the coronation. Charles and Camilla at the last coronation in 1953, Queen Elizabeth II was a glamorous 26-year-old. She was exceedingly popular and Britain was optimistic about the future. Elizabeth remained popular through her final days and has been credited with keeping the monarchy and the Commonwealth together. Her son Charles is far less beloved. As prince, he was often criticized for getting involved in politics, something a constitutional monarch is barred from doing. In the few months he has been on the throne, Charles has avoided political controversy. But he is now 74 years old, and there isn't much optimism about his future on the throne. Republican voices have gotten louder, particularly among young people, and more nations have left or are considering leaving the Commonwealth. Charles has repeatedly been jeered by protesters with the tagline, Not My King. Even less popular is Queen Consort Camilla. She first entered the public consciousness as the other woman to the beloved Princess Diana. Her reputation has somewhat improved thanks to decades of palace PR, but Camilla will never live up to the popularity of Charles' first wife. This begs the question, if Diana had lived, what role would she play in the coronation? No English monarch in history has had a living ex-spouse at the time of their coronation, so there is no historic precedence as to what Diana's role might have been. My guess is that she would have attended as a member of the royal family, but would not have had a role in the procession. After Diana's divorce, she was allowed to keep the title Princess of Wales. Women retain their husband's titles even after divorce. Sarah is still the Duchess of York, though she and Prince Andrew split 27 years ago. So Diana would still be Princess of Wales, regardless of whether or not Charles remarried. Diana was stripped of her HRH, or Her Royal Highness title, and she cried when she received the news. Her son William comforted her, saying, Don't worry, Mommy, I'll give it back to you. Had Diana lived to see William become king, he would most likely have granted her the title Her Royal Highness, the King's Mother. 
Henry VII's mother, Lady Margaret Beaufort, and George III's mother, Princess Augusta of Saxe-Gotha, used this title. The title Queen Mother is reserved for women who were also a queen consort. The Prince and Princess of Wales. The threads by which the monarchy is hanging are the heir to the throne, Prince William, and his wife, Catherine. They are the most popular living royals, and their children embody the promise of the future. If they can avoid scandal for the next few decades, their coronation will likely be far more enthusiastically celebrated. But at the moment, there is one contentious issue about the charismatic couple, their titles Prince and Princess of Wales. Back in 1284, King Edward I, Stone of Schoon, Bandit, murdered the native Welsh princes, spiked their heads in front of the Tower of London, and annexed their country. He created his own son, the new Prince of Wales and the title has been granted to the heir apparent to the English throne ever since. The Welsh have become increasingly discontent about their historic title being used by the British royal family. There were protests at Prince Charles's investiture in 1969, and when William and Catherine visited Wales in late 2022, they were met with a smattering of protests. It has been reported that in order to avoid fanning the flames, the prince will not have an investiture ceremony. This is a break with tradition, as most princes of Wales, going back to the Middle Ages, have been publicly invested. It is surely seen by the royals as a missed opportunity to put the popular prince and princess in the spotlight. However controversial the coronation might be, it will be a part of history, and I am excited to watch it happen. I will be in London on the ground during the coronation. I plan to do live feeds throughout the weekend to share with you the events and the mood of this historic moment. So stay tuned to History Tea Time for more coronation coverage. If you'll be in London too, please come out and meet me from 4 to 6 p.m. on the 5th of May at Ye Old Mitre Pub. Event details are on my Facebook page. You can now follow History Tea Time on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new podcast episodes each Thursday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, also called History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's medical history, and more. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.